This week on the Young Adults Podcast, Brother Juan Lopez starts a new series on the book of Romans titled, The Power of the Gospel. And I'm looking forward to our next lesson series. I got to listen to Brother Kilman's lesson on the podcast just yesterday or the day before, and he was full of jokes about how we gave him half a verse to teach on, and yet he still spoke for 48 minutes. And so when you take the fact that I've got 32 verses times two since he had half a verse, and do the math, I have 52 hours to cover this portion of Scripture. And we have one man who is honest and brave enough to say, please, don't do it. We won't do it, no worries. Romans is what we are going to be getting into next. The book of Romans, it does have 16 chapters, and so why three years is a bit of a stretch. Brother Brzezinski, it will be close. It's going to be a lengthy series. You know, when we get into series that are long, like the book of Acts, you got to ask yourself, you know, how much can the people endure? And when you start looking at Romans and the meat that Paul is feeding us in this book, and you look at how it's going to fluctuate from chapter to chapter, and, and you're going to be dealing with some new perspectives of what he is wanting to get across to the believers in Rome, you just realize that it doesn't get old. It doesn't get distasteful. It doesn't burn out. This book when I started to read it, I'm thankful. Kevin has been pushing Romans, Romans, Romans for months, maybe years. And Brother Kilman as well has dropped hints about what about a series on Romans. And just this last time, Brother Brzezinski pushed, pushed, and got his way. And here we are in the book of Romans. Romans written to the church in Rome, made up of both Gentiles and Jews. It is the longest of Paul's epistles with 7,114 words, often considered his most important and theological legacy. I've read through Romans over and over again throughout my years here in the church, but it's been in this study that I'm really getting a taste for why the theologians feel that way about this particular epistle. It's a very formal, systematic writing surrounding the gospel written while Paul was at Corinth on his third missionary journey. It's one of the few letters wrote to churches in which he had no personal dealings. Paul did not found the Roman church. The only other epistle of this kind is Colossians. So how did the church in Rome get started? It's unclear. Here's what early historians do say. They're all pretty confident that it was not founded by an apostle, which if you are aware of the Roman Catholic claims, that would mean that Peter did not found the church. And I looked and I looked and I looked because I just wanted to see, could that one thing really be true? This massive organization and belief system of Catholicism and, and St. Peter and, and just everything surrounding him. And true enough, there is nothing anywhere historically to support that an apostle, including Peter, founded the church 
in Rome. It's a more common belief that a group of Jewish Christians did. And very possible that these Jews became believers in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Paul, the writer, he opens up and introduces himself as Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle separated unto the gospel of God. I love that Paul, a man who we refer to as the greatest apostle of all apostles, the man who could have been considered the individual that turned the world upside down, Paul. And he introduces himself as not the head honcho, not the man in charge, not the one that wrote all the letters, not the ones that went through prison after prison, and not the one that was shipwrecked, but he's introducing himself here as a servant of Jesus Christ. Jesus said when he gathered his disciples together, if any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. Jesus said in another place, whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. I believe that it is that understanding that Paul possessed. He understood where he was in the pecking order, that he was in fact a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, a servant to those people that he would bring the gospel to. And for us as a body of believers, it is critical that we understand our role, that we are servants. Whether you're like my two kids that sat at the door tonight and tried to welcome you with a handshake and asking you to smell the candles or the rocks, whatever was there and whether you're that person or you are an IBC student or perhaps an Indiana Bible college professor, maybe you are some young adult here, maybe you are a young adult leader, maybe you're an assistant pastor, maybe you are a lead pastor, or how about the superintendent of the United Pentecostal Church International, the one thing that remains the same no matter what level of leadership you are in is you are indeed a servant that never changes no matter where you go no matter what title you hold you are always a servant if you ever pull yourself outside of servanthood and you think of yourself anything else besides a servant then you are seriously mistaken christ is the head of the church and the church is his body you are not i am not a shot caller we follow orders. We are servants. We follow Christ. He leads us and we submit to him. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself, the epitome of servanthood displayed in his death. For what other reason was there that God would manifest himself in flesh be born of a virgin and die on a cross if it were not to serve humanity. The greatest of all, his entire life and work here on earth to serve you. How much more should we, humble subjects, be willing to serve one another? 
He goes on to say that this Jesus that he serves was promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. He was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, declared to be the Son of God with power. How? By the resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ made himself known unto all of the world to truly be the Son of God, the Messiah, not by the miracles, not by the signs and wonders, but by the resurrection from the dead. It was that powerful moment when he conquered death that it was proclaimed and understood. He is exactly who he said he was. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, by whom we have received grace and apostleship. Paul says, that is whom I have received my calling from. And he goes on to tell them, among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ. It's written to the saints of the church in Rome. Paul establishes the fact that everything hinges upon Jesus Christ. And it's recorded in the Old Testament, the Holy Scriptures of who he is. And that who that is the man who has given me my authority as an apostle. But he is also the one that is called you. The one that spoke to Paul. The one that put the calling on Paul's life. Think about Paul is the man that he was. What he did for the kingdom and speaking to a church of people that he has not met, that he did not establish. And he says to them, it's clear they know who Paul is. They've heard of Paul. Everybody knows of Saul who was killing Christians and the conversion that took place and how he's preaching And God is using him in mighty ways. Everybody knows Paul. But that Paul, that man of God, that man of authority lets him know that the same calling by the power and the works of Jesus Christ, the same God that has called me, is the one that's also called you. He says to them, I thank God all the time because your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Probably better understood throughout the entire Roman world or the Roman empire. But what a testament that is for Paul to say to these people that I'm so thankful to God because all throughout the Roman world you are known of by your faith. How awesome is that? Because you could be a young person in this room who is probably pretty good at the things that you do at work or in school. And people may look to you and know you and say, man, that guy, he does a terrific job managing or she's a wonderful teacher in her school system or such and such is a great driver doing their best or so and so is a great this or a great that, a wonderful CEO, a successful business person. But will they say of you that I know that person as a person of faith? 
person of faith because, right, it's good that you are known as a person that does everything that you find to do with unto the Lord. You do your very best and people recognize you for your, your secular abilities and your carnal abilities and how you can provide and do good works on your job. But will they know you as a person of faith? Because at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, you were not saved to just be a person that works good with your hands or a good person of running a company or a business to be success, successful and to build up an empire or money for yourself. What God is wanting to know is are you taking the gift he gave you and being a light into somebody so that they know that that person on my job is a person of faith. Don't give me this, the girls get it easy because everybody can see the long hair and long skirt stuff. Men, you got to be different. They've got to see something in you when they talk to you, something about your spirit, something about the aura of you when you walk into a room, how you treat somebody when you're upset, how you talk to people that are beneath you and subordinates. How maybe when they ask you how your weekend was, you don't talk about your golf game, but you say, man, church, church was good. God moved. How are your kids? My kids are awesome. They're doing great. Kids church, the way they're developing my daughter and my son, I'm so thankful for what's going on at my church. What do you talk about when you have an opportunity to speak and you're not required to talk just about work things? Will they say of you, you are a person of faith. What a testament for these people. For Paul to say, I thank my God for you all that this is what you are known for. Paul made prayer after prayer, wanting to make it to Rome to be with the church there. Best I could understand it, the first time he finally makes it to Rome, it's because he is being imprisoned. And he spends two years there ministering and, and writing other letters. And then he is released and, and goes out. But he makes it back a second time to Rome. Once again, to be imprisoned. Paul. He may have known that there was going to be some hard times ahead. And as much as he desired to be with this group and this body of believers, it just might not happen. And maybe that's why he took the time to pen these 16 chapters and to make such a strong case for the necessity of the gospel, for the power of the gospel, and for the effects of those that believe. Maybe that's why people talk about it being his greatest theological legacy. Just wanted to make it to him. He wanted to be with them. He says that I want to have some fruit among you like I have other Gentiles because I'm a debtor, he says, to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. The Greeks labeled everybody that didn't speak Greek barbarians. They're kind of making fun of the way that they talked and how they sound. And so they just said barbarians the wise and the unwise. And so Paul was making a statement here that I want to come and be with you. I want to bear fruit because I don't distinguish between those that are wise and, and those that are unwise, those that seem to have a history and a pedigree and those that seem to have nothing. 
a desire to be with you. As much as it is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. I read that and I think, man, hold on. He just got done talking about how well known this church was for their faith throughout all of the Roman Empire. And yet he desires to get there. He desires to be with them, to preach to them. To preach the gospel to them. I think something that can sometimes slip the minds of apostolics because we are so pampered with great preaching and great music and and we have service after service, a midweek service and many times a prayer night throughout the week and then a Sunday morning and a Sunday night service and and we get all dressed up and we understand how God works and, and we know what it means to pray, but we've got to understand that Paul had his arms around this, that the Roman church had their arms around this and yet Paul still thought it important that he would pray continually to make it to them so that he could preach the gospel because the gospel and that message never gets old. We got to continue to hear it, got to remind ourselves of it. He says, because I am not ashamed of it. I'm proud of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. The Jew first and also to the Greek. Why do you got to get there? Why do you want to preach the gospel? What can you impart unto them like you have to other Gentiles? You can encourage them to understand just how important this message is. Just how powerful this message is. The power of the gospel unto salvation for everyone that believes everyone you know i wish that you could say that every group meeting this week that flies the banner of christianity believes the same verse believes in the gospel the way that paul is teaching it believes in the gospel the way that the apostolic people believe it This is one place where I just feel like, man, I'm so thankful to be an apostolic. Not because apostolic name is put on there, not because of the denomination aspects of it. I am grateful that we do consider ourselves apostolic so that other people will know that we are people that follow the apostles' doctrine, that we do really believe and the great works that took place in the book of Acts, and that it is continuing all the way until this very moment. I'm thankful for that. But what I am really thankful for is that as apostolics, we wholeheartedly believe in the gospel. Not the gospel like Baptists teach it, not the gospel like Lutherans teach it, but the gospel like the Bible teaches it. The gospel of power. And forgive me because I don't want to make fun of other organizations or other denominations because I promise you I wish there would be an outpouring of power and the Holy Ghost in every one of their services. I wish it to be true. And what a powerful demonstration that would be. But not everybody that says they are Christian believes the gospel to be what it claims to be the gospel. It's what makes us different. 
That's what makes us stand out. The long hair, yeah. The long skirts, yeah. But that's not it. You know what really makes us different is that we believe that there is power through the death, the burial, and the resurrection to impact somebody's life and to completely change them. That you can come into a service, an apostolic service, and you can not just hear about the deliverance and not just hear about the power and not just hear about the forgiveness and the infilling of the Holy Ghost, but you can walk out of our service and you can experience that. You can be forgiven. You can be baptized and your sins can be washed away. And you can be endued with power, power from on high. And you can walk out of that service completely changed. Completely changed. It's demonstrated through experience. Paul, what do you mean? Paul's not just talking about this. He's not just regurgitating something that he heard or something that he read. He was on the road to Damascus. When the power of God, boom, impacted his life. He went from persecuting Christians to preaching the gospel to them. It's a real experience. It's the real deal. It really does change you. You want to know why you can talk to somebody at work and invite them to church with confidence? Because if they enter a place where the word of God is preached and the spirit of God is moving freely, then there is no question that if they desire it, they can walk out of there completely new, brand new. Changed, delivered. You can walk into a service and they can talk about how good God is, how much he loves you, how he died for you, but there's no change. There's no transformation. A friend of mine started out in this truth and found herself just wandering off started attending one of the largest non-denominational, if not the largest non-denominational church in Indiana. Got involved in everything. Even went on mission trips with this church and was teaching Sunday school classes, doing everything she could to participate and be an active member of the church and of the congregation. They had home groups. Because home groups just made sense. Very large church, get together, break bread, study the word. I get it. But the common theme, the one thing that they all talked about and preparing for each home group each week was who's bringing the alcohol. It's true. One of the largest Churches flying the Christian banner in our state. One of the wealthiest churches in our state. And when they get together, approved by the pastor, known about by the pastor, it's all about who's bringing the wine. And they talk a little bit about life and they drink. Then they talk a little bit more about life and they drink. Every once in a while, the scripture falls in, but they drink. And it took just a little bit of time. And she's thinking to herself, I see people that have been here 20, 10, 15 years. And there's no 
change. No transformation and no deliverance. Nothing. And that drove her right back to an apostolic church. What gospel is it that doesn't come in power? What gospel is it that doesn't deliver and save? The gospel is the good news. The good news of a path of deliverance, of salvation. Salvation from what if there's no change? Where's the experience that you go through? I accept the Lord Jesus Christ. Where is the transformation in that? The gospel is not weak. The gospel is not broken. The gospel is a force on this earth. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He says, and if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This, he said, signifying what death he should die. Jesus was saying that if I be lifted up on that cross, I will draw all men unto me. So understand that there is a force working in this world to reach all of humanity, knocking and knocking and knocking on the doors of every man and every woman trying to get their attention. I know the devil, he's a roaring lion. He walketh about, he's seeking whom he may devour. But Satan is not the only active force in this world. Greater. My friends, is he that is in you than he that is in this world. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. Rome was plagued with slavery. But Paul didn't preach against slavery. It was a city of lust and vice, a city of gross economic injustice, one that was built and prospered by the violence of war. But that's not what Paul zeroed in on. He knew the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ solved all, all crucial and urgent needs of society and people as a whole. You get one chance, you have one message, and that one message will accomplish everything that humanity needs to be fixed. You got a drunkard, give them the gospel. You got liars, give them the gospel. You got folks that are fornicated, give them the gospel. You got people that are poor, people that are rich, people that are wandering around, people that are unsure, just give them the gospel. You worried about folks having slaves when they shouldn't have slaves? Give them the gospel. That is the theme of this entire book. Juan, you spent 15 minutes talking about the gospel. Well, Paul's going to spend 16 chapters dealing with the gospel. He's going to unpack it for us in such a powerful and enlightening way. The gospel. It is still the imperative of the Christian church. And the Christian church will advance only to the extent that its gospel advances. 
What are we being saved from? What is the gospel there for? We're getting down into verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. The wrath of God. That's what falls upon those. That is what you face if you are not saved, if you are not delivered. Outside of being delivered, you are left to the wrath of God. Mankind by itself has no clue. It's wrong. Mankind does have a clue. Paul says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even, look at this, this blows me away, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. I think we can't quit making excuses for everybody and face the facts that God laid it out. When you look at creation itself, the beauty and the splendor of everything that he has made, including the human body and how you operate, you are without excuse. That alone is enough for you. You don't take that if that doesn't prompt you, if that doesn't nudge you, if that doesn't draw you, if that doesn't speak to you. And you're left with the consequences. Paul is saying that you're without excuse. Strong language. Dealing with the Gentile part of the church. He's not talking about that you should be without excuse because your heritage understood this already as the Jews would have or because your holy scriptures would have taught it. He's going to deal with that in the next chapter. But right now he's just saying for all the Gentiles, the people that never knew God, that were not born into this, there is no excuse the next time you work with the coworker and you see him there, don't feel sorry. Understand they need the gospel. Share it with them. Talk to them. Testify about what happened in your life. You know when you tell a testimony and you speak about the power of God and what he's done in your life, how he's delivered you, how he's made a way for you, how he's provided for you, or maybe how he saved a loved one, or how he delivered a loved one from alcohol, or how he healed a young kid that you know, whatever the testimony is, when you share that, it always leads back to the gospel. Because that's where the power came from. How do you know this God? How do you experience this God? How did these things happen? What are you testifying about? I'm testifying about my God and his power to work in our lives. And here is how it begins. He goes on to say, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. You see this everywhere. The smart alecks on Facebook. The smart alecks on Twitter. The ones with their blogs. Who all they do is profess to be so wise and so smart. 
and they're bullies and they pick on everybody and they try to start a fight with everyone and they try to get people to just follow them because they're afraid if they don't follow them, the next on their blog or next on their Twitter feed is going to be their name that they're bashing, their name that they're tearing down, their name that they're destroying. People that really believe that they're so wise. And Paul's saying, but they are. I'll tell you what's worse than that is when I look on Facebook and I see people that are supposed to be Christians, not just Christians, but apostolics that get on there and they want to twist the words of the preacher and they want to make fun of things like speaking in tongues and they want to talk about things like dressing holy is not mattering. What, you not apostolic? I don't even know what effect the gospel has on your life if that's your attitude. If you can truly say those things, if you can truly profess yourself to be greater than the word of God, profess yourself to be greater than your pastor, profess yourself to be greater than all of the books in the Bible. My friend, don't lie to yourself. That's not Christian. That's not change. That's not transformation. They change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and to four-footed beasts and to creepy things. You can see all the beauty that God created. And somehow you want to whittle him down into an image that he made and call that God. Matthew Henry said it was the greatest honor God did to man that he made man in the image of God. But it is the greatest dishonor man has done to God that he has made God in the image of man. They did those things that they thought were right in their own eyes. That's what you're left with in this world when you're not allowing the things of nature and creation to speak to you, when you're not allowing the power of the gospel to impact you, when you are not submitting yourselves to this creative being, this force of God. They didn't retain God in their knowledge and God gave them over to reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient if you desire to do what you desire to do long enough then God will no longer be there to stop you eventually my friends you will get your way the good part of that is if you desire to follow after God then right then right there immediately as you draw nigh to him he draws nigh to you but if you do the opposite and you desire to follow after your own things and your own pleasures and only things that make you smile and make you feel good then before long you'll find yourself so caught up in those things that you will not even hear the voice and the cry of the Lord being filled with all unrighteousness fornication wickedness covetousness maliciousness full of envy murder debate deceit malignity whispers backbiters haters of God despiteful proud boasters inventors of evil things you don't just 
partake in things that are evil. Your mind is so twisted and perverse when it's only focused on you that it invents things of evil. Disobedient to parents without understanding covenant breakers, without natural affection, placable, unmerciful. He talked in this about how the women gave up the natural use for man and man gave up the natural use for woman and they burned for lust for each other. Don't play around. Don't take lightly homosexuality, lesbianism. These are not small things. I know people that make fun of Calvary because it's like the homo bashing church is what they say. They're like, it's always something about the homos. Always something about the lesbians. Always something, something, something. You know what I think, Brother Brzezinski? I think our leadership has an understanding of the evil that is working in this day and for years has been trying to prepare us to stand against those things. You got friends at work that are gay, so be it. But they better know that you don't believe that that is okay. You're not going to hate them. You're not going to bash them. You're not going to tear them down. You're not going to talk bad about them. You're not going to try to destroy them because in actuality, you love them. But you do not approve of what they're doing. You do not approve of what they're doing. It is not okay. Paul said, I thank God because all throughout the Roman world, they know of your faith. What does your faith mean? What does it do? What will that say to the person that can't quit cussing around you and all of a sudden someone stops them and says, no, that, brother, that brother's a brother of faith. You can't talk like that in front of the preacher, the minister. He's a God guy. I mean, they got all kinds of weird names for us. Been called lots of things respectfully, but all kinds of weird names. Stand with me. Paul closes out this chapter with one of the most disturbing verses in the entire Bible. Who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death. Not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. They know, knowing that the judgment of God, the wrath of of God, the damnation, the eternal damnation will fall upon those that commit such things. But yet thinking about punishment tomorrow is too far away for them. All they can focus on is the gratification of today to the degree that they don't just do those things knowing that they are worthy of death. But they take pleasure in them that do them. 
knowing the judgment of God. This is our world. This is where you'll find most of society at. They've heard about the judgment of God. They've heard that he expects certain things from them, but they don't care. Somewhere they've heard, somewhere they've read, somewhere somebody said something to them that such things are worthy of death. But they don't care. I tell you, we have a world that is in need of the gospel. A world that is in need of forgiveness a world that is in need of saving that needs to be captured and snatched out of the hands of the enemy that needs to be delivered from their desire to be just self-gratifying and pleasing. They need the gospel. Can we take just a few minutes and let's pray for our city. Let's pray that God would give us an apostolic revival. That God would allow us to be so influential in what he's going to do in Indianapolis that we could be the voice that proclaims the gospel to the broken and to the lost and to those that are so confused they don't know which way's which, but somebody needs to tell them. Someone needs to present to them that gospel. Paul said, it's the power of God unto salvation. They need it. And if they get it, if they experience it, they will be transformed. There's no question they will be changed. They need the Holy Ghost. They need the power to overcome that same power that professed and demonstrated that Jesus truly was the Messiah, that power that brought him out of that grave. They need that power living inside them. Jesus, we ask you, God, we pray for our city. God, that there would be a stirring. God, that there would be a shaking God, the foundations would be rattled. God, that you could get their attention. Those that are bound by wickedness, God, those that are bound by lies, those that are full of deceit and anger, God, that you could get a hold of them. Jesus, empower us. Help us to be encouraged and strengthened to be a voice in this city, God, to be a light everywhere we go. Let them look at us as people of faith. Let them look at us as people that have been delivered. Let them look at us as the ones they can talk to when they're hurt, when they're lost, when they're lonely. God, that you can reach into the neighborhoods where the drugs are overtaking families. God, where they're getting into the lives of young people, Lord, not just teenagers, even those before they're teenagers. God, that you could somehow minister 
God, that you could somehow reach them, that you could somehow connect somebody that has been impacted by your gospel that could witness, someone that could testify, someone that could encourage. Jesus' name. Come on now, I know that everybody in this room has been impacted by the power of the gospel. You have been transformed. You have been touched by God. And tonight it's the time we cry out for our city. It's time that our voices are raised for those that don't know, for those that are lost, for those that are hurt. They need him. They need him. They need him. Jesus, they need you. Jesus, they need you. Yes, God. Yes, God. Yes, God. We will go. Yes, God. I will sacrifice. Yes, God. I will be uncomfortable if I have to, but I will speak. I will not be silent. I will not turn a blind eye, God. I will share with this world the power of the gospel. Jesus. Jesus.